Psalm 119, if you would uh, stand and uh, we'll read the first ten verses together. Psalm 119. The message tonight will be unorthodox. It will not be a regular type sermon. It will be more of a, a study on how to read and study the Word of God. Uh, so let's, get, let's begin in verse 1. The Bible says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. O oh, forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. This passage here uh, puts a lot of emphasis on what the Bible can do for each of us if we allow it. And so are you reading and studying and doing so effectively. So the title tonight is How to Read and Study the Bible. How to Read and Study the Bible. Let's pray. I ask tonight, God, as we enter in sort of a a workshop-type atmosphere for the next uh, few minutes that you give us, uh, Lord, uh, give each of us some things that will help make uh, our Bible time uh, enhanced. For those that don't read, may tonight whet their appetite to begin reading uh, regularly and faithfully. Because we know that it is your word that is the water that cleanses us inside and out. And Lord, we need to be cleansed regularly. We live in a very filthy, sinful world. And we need the word of God to wash away the sin. And Lord, I pray that uh, you'd help us to not just read our Bibles, but to read them effectively. And uh, Lord, that um, uh, you just guide my tongue, what I say. And Lord, help the hearts to be open and receptive to the message. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Before we get too much further here, uh, David and Linda have been uh, members of our church here for, oh, I don't know, four or five months now. David is having surgery this Tuesday. Uh, and uh, this has kind of been a surgery that's been pushed out a little bit, but definitely a needed one. So if you think of it, and write down David. How do you say your last name? I always struggle with that. Shoningal. Shoningal. All right. You're... Spell that phonetically however you please, all right? David Schoeningle, so pray for him as he is having surgery this Tuesday. Um, this morning we looked at the evidence for the Bible. Uh, we talked about how the Bible claims within itself that it is God's holy word. We looked at 1 Timothy 3, uh, how the Bible says that it was inspired by God. Psalm 12 says that the words of the Lord are pure words. Uh, as uh, uh, a, a, a silver tried in a, a fiery furnace uh, seven times, and that uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing those verses somewhat, but that the word of God, the Lord are pure words is, is a direct quote there of Psalm 12, verse 6. And so the Bible itself claims that it is God's perfect word. We also talked about the outside evidence for the Bible. It's not just enough for a book to claim to be God's Word, to make it God's Word. I could write any book I want, and in there I could write, I am God, and and I told Richard Lejeune to write this book, and that does not necessarily mean it's God's book. In fact, that's been done. The Book of Mormon was done that way, okay? And uh, the Book of Mormon is not 
the Word of God. So just because a book claims to be the Word of God in and of itself, that's not sufficient enough evidence. But we looked at some outside evidence. Um, for those of you that were in children's services or not able to be here this morning, I'll just recap that quickly. We said that uh, 39 or 40 men uh, uh, over the span of 1,500 years, most of these men never, ever met each other. Some of them knew each other. Most of them never knew each other. They came from different cultures. They came from different social economical classes. Uh, they, many of them spoke different languages. Uh, you had kings that authored the Bible. You had shepherds that authored the Bible. You had attorneys that authored the Bible. You had scientists that offered, authored the Bible. Uh, but yet, uh, all of these uh, people putting together a book that has over 30,000 chapters in it, that's 66 books in length, um, no contradictions. Not one. Not one. It's a book that has outsold every book since books have been in print. And it, it's not like it's missed a year. Every year that books are sold, it outsells every year. And it's not even close. In fact, the New York Times bestseller list doesn't put the Bible at number one because it is assumed that the Bible is number one in the world. Um, if the book was phony, if it was a hoax, if it was full of lies... There's a large mountain of evidence that someone's going to have to work very hard to explain to me. I didn't get into this, but there were people like Isaiah and Jeremiah that prophesied hundreds of years uh, prior to uh, a king being born. The king was called out by name, and the king was told what to do, and then that king turned around and did it. So uh, there are... Powers of deity at work in the writing of our Bible. God authored the Bible and men were used to pin that down. Um, so the Bible is God's perfect book. It was written with a purpose. It was written with a purpose to have authority in our lives. We, we finished the sermon this morning talking about that authority. My children obey my authority because they don't really have a choice. If they don't, there's consequences. Um, and there are consequences if the Bible isn't the authority, but there isn't a God in heaven that comes down and lords over the top of you the way I do over my children and dictates to them, uh, dictates to us that we have to obey. We choose of our own free will whether or not we're going to live our lives by the letter of the Bible or we're not. We choose whether or not that's going to be our authority. There is a saying amongst uh, business executives, especially business executives that don't really answer to anybody, and the saying is this, my schedule is my boss. My schedule is my boss. Um, the truth is, if I wanted to show up at 1 o'clock in the afternoon every day, not really a whole lot of people stop me. But I know there's things to do, so I show up a lot earlier than that. And you have to make the same choice about the Bible. The Bible is my boss. What it says I'm going to do. It's God's perfect book given to us. Uh, and so we need to follow it. Now, from the time I was a child, I was told while at church, hundreds of times I've heard something like this said, if you want to please God, then you need to read your Bible. Read your Bible. I went to one church, but that was all the guy ever preached on. I mean, that was it. That was the, that was the point he made in every sermon, every time. You remember that church? 
Every sermon, every time. Read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. Every sermon. I wanted to stand up after a couple of years of that and say, I got it! I need to read my Bible! Can I tell you, he was right though. You do need to read your Bible. But can I be honest? It's been a challenge most of my Christian life to do it consistently. You're a pastor. You're supposed to read 35 chapters a day. Can I be honest? Sometimes as a pastor, I struggle with reading my Bible. I'm sorry, am I being too transparent for everybody? Can you be honest that maybe sometimes you struggle with it too? Now, we know we're supposed to, but we don't always do it, do we? Now, I'm sure there's a couple of people in the crowd, you do read your Bible every day, because it's just entrenched and it's been there for years. And to that I say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. When I was small, the Bible seemed like an insurmountable, insurmountable mountain of intellect to try and conquer. It, it seemed like it would never, ever happen. I'm looking up, I'm seven, eight, nine years old, I barely know how to read. And I'm looking up at this mountain of intellect and I'm going, I will never conquer the mountain. And the truth is, I will never conquer the mountain. There's so much in the Bible that I could study every day, night and day, and never figure out. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. That doesn't mean we shouldn't grow and climb the mountain as far as we can. At times, even now, my flesh pulls me away from my Bible reading. My flesh makes excuses like, Oh, I know it's scheduled to read your Bible, but you're busy right now and you'll get to it later. It's funny how everything else, when it's time to read my Bible, seems like it's more important than reading my Bible. Is that the case for you? Ever? Or you sit down and start reading and some of you are like super easily distracted, right? So... My coffee's a little too bitter. I think I need to add some sugar. So you get up and you add some sugar. You know what? Maybe that wasn't the problem. Maybe I need to put more cream in it. You know, I need to dump this cup of coffee out and start over. It's just isn't working. And then the kids come in the room. And they, they need something. And then your spouse needs something. Or your boss needs something. And you're, you're in the break room at work. Or uh, the TV's on. And you, you're having a hard time focusing. It's funny that... When it's time to do the most important thing in the Christian life, we quickly make excuses about why we're too busy and that how we tell ourselves, I'm going to do this later. Here's another excuse. There's no use in reading right now. I'm too tired. That one ever, is that one ever bit you? How many of you ever fell asleep reading your Bible? Raise your hand if you ever fell asleep reading your Bible. All right. I've woke up with drool on my Bible. And um, I look super spiritual after it dries, like I wept all over the Bible. <laughs> and they're not tears. Uh, I have wept on my Bible, but um, I've also not wept. And I had a roommate once, he came in, and man, his Bible looked beaten and wore out. I mean, he looked like he had read that thing through 50 times. I mean, pages were dog-eared and, and, and wrinkled. And I mean, it looked like he had, he had just... He had just studied that thing until he had wore it out. And I, his name was Daniel. Daniel's a nut. Daniel was a lot of fun. I said, Daniel, wow, man. I said, you're really taking this Bible reading thing serious. He goes, no, I left it on the roof of my car. 
Um, you say you're too tired. You're too tired. And to that I'd say, walk around and read your Bible. But you say, maybe you say to yourself, well, I'm too tired. I woke up and I'm trying, but I keep falling back asleep while I'm reading my Bible. So you say, I'll read it tonight. And then um, that night, uh, you say to yourself, I've had a really long day. Surely God wants me to get some rest. I'll just read my Bible in the morning. And, you know, you, you might read two or three days a week. Then you fall off and it's once every couple weeks. Can I tell you another excuse that many Christians have? This is an excuse I had before I learned how to read and study my Bible, but this is an excuse probably some of you in here have. You say this, I would read my Bible, but I don't get a whole lot out of it. The Bible doesn't really speak to me. Now, you wouldn't say that out loud. But for some of you, it's true. You tried reading your Bible for a couple of weeks, and you kind of weren't really seeing the instant growth you wanted. And so, well, it's a good book, and I'll treat it like an encyclopedia, and I'll go to church and let the pastor, you know, dissect the passage and feed me. Um, what if the only time you ate a physical meal was when you came to church? How malnourished would you become? I mean, some of you are here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. But if all you ate was Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, after a couple months, you wouldn't look real healthy. Some of you only come Sunday morning and Sunday night because you're, either your schedule doesn't let you uh, come on Wednesdays or uh, maybe uh, you know, you're here tonight but you don't generally come on Sunday night because you, know, you grew up Catholic and good Catholics go once a week. And so now you're a Baptist, but... You could still be a good Baptist to go once a week. Whatever your reasoning is. What if you only ate Sunday morning and Sunday night? Physically. What if you only ate Sunday morning? You would make it real long. And, uh, you know, Christian, you're not going to lose your, your, your Christianity. You're not going to lose uh, Christ out of your heart. But there are a whole lot of malnourished Christians walking around planet Earth. Because they're not feeding themselves spiritually. They're not taking in the Bible. Now, some religions would tell you, you don't need to read the Bible. You come here and let me tell you what it says. And I'm going to say, no! Listen, you've got a Bible and you've got a brain. Put the two together and read it and understand it. Uh, one of the things I love about this church is uh, I can think of three different occasions where uh, after a sermon, uh, someone approached me and uh, was very kind and meek about it, but said, Pastor, I just want you to tell me, uh, the sermon you preached tonight, why does this verse say this over here? Now, on two of those occasions, I was able to uh, sit down with the person and explain it to them, and they walked away understanding Scriptures a little bit better. But on one occasion, someone came to me, and I was the one that had misunderstood the Bible. I'm not the final authority around here. The Bible is the final authority. And we're biblicists at White Oak Baptist Church. We hold the Bible high. and It, it, it is something that I am to live under and that we're all to live under. And yes, uh, I am the paid pastor that uh, is paid to study it and understand it and preach it. But Christian, you are supposed to study it and understand it and feed yourself as well. Now, Learning to study the Bible is like learning how to cook. You can have two kitchens, 
with the same ingredients and the same appliances. You can put two different cooks in those kitchens and you'll come out with two totally different meals. How many of you here ever watched the show on the Food Network, Chopped? Anybody here watch that show? My family likes watching that show. Um, they put some weird stuff in those baskets, don't they? I mean, uh, I was talking to Angela last night. I got home and the kids were watching Chopped. And um, someone pulled out a fish head with eyeballs. I said, what in the world? How, what are you going to do with that? You know, they'll throw all kinds of crazy stuff at those cooks. And I am always amazed at what they come up with. I am amazed at what they come up with. Um, you ever been sitting in church and, and heard a preacher preach, whether it was me or maybe sitting in Sunday school or a Sunday school teacher teach, or we had a guest speaker and heard them preach and thought, Wow! I've read that passage all my life. I've never seen that before. You know what that happened was that speaker read the same passage you read, studied a little bit deeper than you did, and got something else out of it that was there all along. All along. You say, well, pastor, that's great. How do I do that? Back to the kitchen example here. Um, my wife and I like to eat Mexican food. And let me just throw this out here. There's a big misnomer uh, by a lot of white people. I'm going to pick on white people here for a minute because I is one. All right. Um, just because someone looks Hispanic, that does not mean that they eat tacos. We all understand this? You probably don't. I can't. My wife and I laugh about this all the time. Someone will see her and will get into a very shallow conversation and they'll learn that she's Peruvian and they'll say, they'll, then they'll start talking about all their Mexican food they enjoy. But, and Angel's like, but I don't eat Mexican food. Uh, you know, she, we do, but that's not her, uh, not, uh, that's not what, uh, they eat in Peru. My mom-in-law came her, came here in her, uh, early 60s uh, uh, for Angel and I's wedding, and she had tortillas while she was here. It was the first time in her life she'd ever had a tortilla. First time ever in her life. So uh, just because they eat it in Mexico, that does not mean the rest of the Hispanic world eats that. But anyway, Mexican food. Um, have you ever noticed that Mexican food in most Mexican restaurants consists of about six or seven ingredients? You have tortillas, you have rice, you have frijoles or beans, you have cheese, okay? You have sour cream, uh, and you have your meat. Jalapenos. All right, seven ingredients. We could probably expand it out to maybe ten, all right? I'll have the Mexican come up here and expound for us the Mexican dinner, all right? Um, now, you could go to ten different Mexican restaurants that use about the same ten ingredients, you could have a great food experience in one, and you could have a horrible experience in another. Some of that's the quality of food they buy, but you give, you give them all the same uh, food. And by the way, most of the dishes are the same ingredients, just presented in a different way. I'm speaking more Tex-Mex restaurants than uh, uh, authentic Mexican restaurant. Um, I'm talking about the restaurants that don't have the cockroaches, not the ones that do. Uh, no, um, but uh, why is that? Why is that? Because, Christian, you have the same Bible that I do. You must learn how to conquer Bible reading and Bible study. You must learn how to do it. So, uh, tonight I propose many Christians like the Bible, but they don't really love the Bible. They like to come to hear the to church and hear the pastor explain the scriptures. They like the word of God. They like being challenged by the word of God, but they don't really love the Bible. 
love the Bible. They love uh, uh, when the pastor or another Bible teacher breaks down the Scriptures, but they don't like putting in the work to do it themselves. Uh, Christian, Christian, you must learn to feed yourself. You must learn to eat spiritually every day. Your spiritual uh, uh, mouth is your eyeballs. You take in through your eyeballs and you feed yourself. Um, I remember when Matthew and April were babies and they, they were able to sit in a high chair and we got out the Gerber. One of the worst mistakes I ever made in my life was testing the Gerber myself. That stuff is horrid. I don't know how kids eat that. You have like, like they take two weird ingredients that don't seem to work, like peanut butter and jelly and ham. And they, you know, they make a Gerber out of it. Like, what is this, right? And, uh, but, um, uh, watching my kids eat that and, and trying to get that in their mouth and it ends up all over their face. And then they get that, that down and then you put food in front of them and the spaghetti bowl, the spaghetti sauce sends up all over their face and the bowl ends up on top of their head. And about 60% gets in their mouth, the other 40% is on the floor for you to sweep up. And then they learn how to eat. And then eventually some of those who learn how to eat, thankfully some, uh, learn to grow up and learn how to cook. And so as a Christian, you first come to church and the pastor's spooning out the food and man, you're only getting a small percentage of it. You're trying to get it in your, in yourself spiritually and other Christians who've learned how to eat a little bit better than you, man, they're just soaking it all up. They're getting it all in. You're only getting a small percentage of it. And I would say keep coming to church in time. You'll figure out how to absorb all of it and get all of it and enjoy all of it. But there must reach a point for those of you that have learned how to eat that which the pastor and the Sunday school teacher is serving. There must come a point time in your life where you learn how to cook the ingredients of the Word of God yourself and feed yourself and then feed others around you. Tonight we're going to look at three thoughts about how to read and study the Bible, okay? So I've broken my thoughts down into these three categories. The first one is mentalities, mentalities. Now, I've touched on this somewhat in the introduction, but uh, let me articulate even uh, more clearly here. There are several different mentalities people take toward the Bible, and uh, I have these in my notes. They will not be on the screen, uh, but if you can write fast and you're taking notes, you can uh, try to get these down here. The first one I have about uh, people's mentalities towards the Bible is that they doubt its validity. They doubt its validity. There are a whole lot of people out there. They say, well, metaphorically, you know, the Bible's good. So are Aesop's fables, and so is Shakespeare, and, you know, it kind of fits in there. And I, I really don't know if the Bible's true. I'm sure some of it's true, but then you have people that hate the Bible, right? But I'm talking about people that aren't on the atheist boat, maybe the agnostic boat, uh, and then people who really just wander through life aimlessly. And they look at the Bible as a good book, but they really doubt whether or not it's true. In Milford, I went uh, with, um, I'm trying to remember who I was with, but we stood at the door of a young man with a, 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 new, a new move-in bag, and we were inviting him to our church, and uh, he was very kind and gracious and took it from us, and uh, we were talking to him, and he said, well, you know, I take the Bible figuratively, but I don't take it literally. I don't take it literally. And uh, so you have people that doubt its validity. The next group of people I have here, are, as far as mentalities go, is they accept it as true, but treat it like an encyclopedia. They accept it as true, but they treat it like an encyclopedia. Um, i got to say, I really enjoy Wikipedia. I use it a lot uh, in, in my studies. Uh, um, 
it's hit or miss on whether or not it's all accurate or true. For those of you who don't know Wikipedia is, it's like an online encyclopedia. It's a public forum type deal. If you create an account, you can go in and edit a lot of different things and give your input on it. And so over time, the masses seem to fix it and it, it's, uh, it, it, most of it's usually pretty accurate. Um, but you know, I don't, I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't sit in my office and just begin at the letter A and read through the Wikipedia from beginning to end. How many of you remember back, was it the 80s, they had the, the Britannica boy in the commercials. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, with the Encyclopedia Britannica. And they would always advertise those. And you can buy these. Even had people that go door to door and try to sell them to you. If you got the Encyclopedia Britannica, which I'm sure some of you did. Anybody here ever owned the Encyclopedia Britannica? Okay, a few of you. They're great reference material, Right? But they're not something you read through. A lot of people treat the Bible that way. They'll say, okay, I'm having problems with my marriage. Oh, mm, what's the Bible say about that? Oh, okay, that's good. All right, yep, all right, move on. And then a couple months later, uh, someone's depressed. All right, what's the Bible say about depression? Ah, okay, right there. Yep, that's a good verse about depression. Yep, I'll share that. Okay, yep, good. Uh, Moving on. That's a terrible attitude to have toward the Bible, but unfortunately, many Christians carry and treat their Bible like an encyclopedia. Another mentality, they accept it as true and then pick and choose what it is they want to follow. I believe it was Jimmy Carter who famously said, I believe the whole Bible except Ephesians chapter 5. That's the chapter about women submitting their husbands and husbands leading their wives. He said, I believe the whole Bible except that chapter. You don't get to pick and choose what it is you want to believe. There's people that treat the Bible that way. And listen, uh, you may not say that you treat the Bible that way, but when you read the Bible and it tells you something in your life is a sin, or the pastor preaches out of the Bible that something's a sin and you know that's in your life and you refuse to change it, then you are, you are picking and choosing what you want to follow. In essence, you're creating your own religion. And then another mentality, they accept it as true, but struggle to consistently read it. And I think that's a category a lot of us may fit in. And then there, uh, the last one I have here is they accept it as true and they read it daily and they try their best to conform to it. And i got to say that's the most joyous way to live. Um, I wonder, do we have any atheists in the room? I didn't think anybody raised their hand. How about practical atheists? You say, Pastor, what is a practical atheist? A practical atheist can be defined as someone who claims they believe the Bible in word, but they ignore its contents by the way they live their lives. I would step out on a limb and say, there are some practical atheists in this room right now. Something in your lifestyle is sin. And you know it's in the Bible. And you refuse to change. You know, a lot of what goes on on HBO and Showtime and Cinemax, Christian has no right watching. You're not supposed to take that sin on that screen into your eyes. And if the culture says that Game of Thrones is popular, so what? There's a lot of filthy things in that show. You know, if uh, if Dexter is a popular show to watch... By the way, I've never seen these shows. All right, just make that clear. Um, doesn't matter if the, everyone at the lunchroom table is talking about the latest episode and what happens. You're a Christian. You don't do that. Oh, but pastor. Don't oh, but pastor me. Amen? 
practical atheist. It's picking and choosing what you want to believe and, and, uh, and, and only reading the Bible as it's convenient for you. Number two, notice the word materials. So let's get into the nitty-gritty here of studying the Bible. All right. The very first material you're going to need to read or study your Bible is a King James Bible. A King James Bible. I hope you'll come back uh, in two Sunday mornings. The plan is, this, this is fluid, it could change, but the plan is in two Sunday mornings for me to give a whole message explaining why it is that I use exclusively the King James Version of the Bible. And so if you don't know why it is we use that here, uh, everything we do here is for a purpose. Everything we do here, every rule that you know, we have for our ministry team, uh, every part of the order of service, there is logic behind it, including the fact that we only use the antiquated King James Version of the Bible instead of some of the other versions. And I would say, uh, for now, take my word for it, and if you don't want to take my word for it, then be in attendance two weeks uh, uh, in two weeks uh, from today on Sunday morning, and you'll hear me give a long 40-minute, 45-minute, uh, if I behave myself, explanation on why I use the King James Bible. So, uh, some people would say, well, the King James Bible, it's too difficult to understand. That's the number one reason people don't want to use it. Too many these and thous and thines. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, but uh, I don't do Shakespeare and I don't do the King James Bible. I use the English Standard Version, or I use the New American Standard Version, or I use uh, the New International Version. And uh, um, I would say this, and, and the reason is because it's easier to understand. A military general was once asked by another of his commanding officers, or another one of his officers below him who was a commanding officer, he was asked uh, uh, this, or he said, the men are struggling to keep the rigid structure that's in place. Should we lower the standard to accommodate the men? The general replied back sharply, Sir, we will never bring the standard down to the men, but rather you should bring your men up to the standard. You say, the Bible, the King James Bible is too complicated for me. Then bring your intellect up to the standard. Uh, but more about that in a couple of weeks. So the very first material you need is a King James Bible. So I'm going to give you reading, listening, and studying below each of the next two points. And I'm going to give you some materials. And then on the third point, I'll uh, branch off and do something a little bit different. Right? So for reading, for reading, if you're going to read your Bible and do it consistently, uh, some people read off of a chart. And I have three different charts here with me. And um, uh, these are um, three different ways to do it. Okay, the very first chart I have here, and uh, if you want any of these charts, uh, one of these is on the back table. I can make copies of the others if you'd like. This one is just reading straight through the Bible, okay? On day one, uh, January 1st, you read Genesis 1 through 3, and then 4 through 7, and then day 3, 8 through 11, day 4, 12 through 15, and then at the end of the year, uh, the, um, uh, the 365th day, you read Revelations 20 through 22. You just read the Bible straight through. I have done a chart like this before. This is the most, this is the hardest one to stick at, stick to. The reason being, you get in the book of Ezekiel and you're reading about four-faced people and you're reading about all these other, four-faced angels and you're reading about all these other things and you're like, whoa, I'm not really getting a whole lot out of this. And then, you know, it's like, it's like trying to run through a, run through tar or run through uh, a pool of molasses, right? You just have a hard time getting through it, and, it, and you really you're only getting through by character. The second chart I have here 
uh, is one where you, um, same type of format, but you would read in the Old Testament and in the New Testament each day. And this is a better chart. This is a better chart because uh, if you are in Isaiah and you're reading something that seems to be a little difficult to understand, you can also read in the New Testament and uh, it makes the Bible reading time a little more enjoyable. But probably my favorite Bible reading chart is the one we have out there. And uh, it takes, uh, and so each week, during the week, you're reading out of different parts of the Bible. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different parts of the Bible you read out of each day. So you have seven different starting points. So the first day of the week, you'll read out of the epistles. On Monday, you'll read out of the law. Uh, on Tuesday, you would read out of the history books. Wednesday, the Psalms. Thursday, the poetry books. Friday, the prophecy books. And then Saturday, the Gospels. And so you read through your entire Bible in the whole year, but you really get the variety of the Bible every single week. So uh, for materials go, uh, there's these reading charts. We do supply those in the back. I would encourage you to get those. Uh, How about listening to the Bible? I believe you ought to put the Bible in you every way possible, okay? Uh, How many of you here... Uh, and I, please participate. Don't just sit there and stare at me with a frown on your face. All right. How many of you here would be honest and say, Pastor, uh, uh, the whole concept of hooking up a smartphone to my stereo is beyond my capability? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Okay. Just, wow. All right. So we have a couple that's approaching 80. They know how to do that. That's phenomenal. Okay. For those of you that raise your hand, that's okay. If you know how to put a CD in a CD player and you want to listen to the Bible, uh, Alexander Scorby puts out um, uh, his reading of the Scriptures. There's both a dramatized version and a non-dramatized version where he just reads straight through. And uh, the dramatized version is my favorite because they assign a character role to each person in the Bible and their sound effects and all that around it. You can buy the CDs off of the Internet if you're not... If you don't know how to do that, see me, I'll help you, okay? And uh, you get the CDs and you put them in the CD player and you listen straight through. Now, for all of those of you here who are uh, adapted into the cell phone world, let me give you a couple of apps here that will actually play the Bible for you. There's Bible.is, Bible.is, this one is my personal favorite. And then there is another Bible app that's just an excellent app, it's called YouVersion, Y-O-U version, you version, and you can listen to the Bible. And uh, I would say this, uh, that that is a good thing to do. You hook your phone up to your car speaker, or you just play it while you're at home, and uh, you can listen to it along the way. More about that in a minute. All right, let's talk about studying the Bible, all right? Studying the Bible. Now, there are a lot of King James Version Bibles out there. When I say that, I mean there's one King James Version of the Bible, but there's um, uh, different publishers that add different study helps. And there are some men in the Bible, uh, men in the church here that uh, are very astute when it comes to Bible and uh, they have a different system of studying and so you can see them and ask them what they use. I personally enjoy studying out of the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. That's my go-to Bible. I'm going to show you how to use that here in a moment. But uh, if you're wanting a good study Bible, I would recommend spend the money and get a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. It's the Bible I preach out of. It's the Bible I study out of. Uh, I love the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. I'll talk about that more in a few minutes. Here's some other resources for you. Uh, you'll want to get a good dictionary, so if there's a word there that you're not quite sure what it understands, 
Uh, probably the best dictionary out there. It's a little expensive, but again, you want to spend money on something that's going to grow you in the Lord. I would get the Oxford English Dictionary. It goes way back into English when it first came around, and it takes the word that you're looking up, and it gives you the history of the word going all the way back to its origin in the English language, and it tells you what it meant in each era of time and in each culture. And so the Bible was written, the, the King James uh, uh, Bible was translated in the year 1611. And so if you want to know what a word meant by the author, it's good to go back and look at what it meant during that time. So that's a good one. Another good dictionary, a little bit cheaper, is the 1828 Webster American Dictionary. So uh, if you want to get some computer software or you're looking to uh, wanting to know where some websites are to help you study out a topic or a passage, uh, I believe the one uh, that Brother Verone uses is QuickVerse. Is that correct? QuickVerse? I uh, personally use Logos Bible. Logos Bible. So both of these will sell you a package and they can get rather expensive according to what you want to get. Uh, I probably have two to three hundred books that come with the app that are study and resource materials. A good website to go to if you want to look at a word in the original language and see what those words mean, blueletterbible.com. Blueletterbible.com is a great resource uh, I use uh, on occasion. Okay, how about smartphone apps? How many of you have a Bible app on your smartphone? Would you raise your hand? Very good. There are some out there that are great. There's some out there that are, eh, they're okay, and uh, there, there are those that are middle of the road. Uh, uh, let me give you some of the ones. I've got probably got six or seven Bible apps on my phone. Uh, let me give you some of the ones that I use the most. Version has a lot of study helps. It's got uh, videos. It's got breakdown of book explanations. Uh, again, Y-O-U version. They're not all, not all the video explanations are King James, so you have to be careful with that, uh, and you really have to know, uh, your Bible pretty well before you buy into everything that's being said there, so you can get that, not, probably 90, 90 to 95% of what's covered is good, not all of it is, but is a great app. Uh, the Logos app, if you are a paying subscriber, uh, to them, or rather you bought their software, that's a good app, and then probably my favorite in-depth app, uh, is the, BLB app, or the Blue Letter Bible app. You can touch a verse, and then you can touch um, another option under there, and it will give you the verse broken down in the original language, and then you can touch each word, and it will tell you what each word means. It also has commentaries built right into the app, and it's all free. It's a great app. They have an iPad version. Uh, 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 they have uh, an Android tablet version, I believe. They also have the Android and uh, iPhone uh, for your phone version as well. So that's a great app. Some commentators, uh, commentaries that I use in my studies, uh, I don't really uh, bro- uh, uh, expand out a lot because there's a lot of Calvinism and false doctrines in a lot of the commentaries out there. I think you've got to be very careful and pick these carefully here. But uh, the ones I use the most are probably John Phillips, uh, Warren Wearsby, and J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee. And J. Vernon McGee, back, uh, I guess in the 50s or 60s, he did a radio uh, program every day called Through the Bible. And they've taken a lot of those and they've turned it into a commentary set. And it, uh, that's probably the funnest of the three to, to flip through. Warren Wearsby's knowledge of the Bible is superb. John Phillips was actually an independent Baptist and maybe one of the brightest commentators of our independent Baptist circles. So those commentaries are very enjoyable for me to look at. I glean a lot out of those. Okay, so that's studying. Now let's take that and let's make it super practical. Number three, let's look at methods. Methods. 
So when it comes to reading, you can read off a chart. I'll tell you, I don't personally read off a chart. I don't personally read off a chart. And the reason why I don't is uh, I found myself checking the box, closing my Bible, and getting nothing out of it. Now, maybe you use a chart and you get something out of it. If so, man, keep on doing that. If you don't know where to begin, use a chart. That's a great way to help. Um, I will, what, the way I read my Bible in my daily Bible reading is wherever I happen to be at the time, I will read in, 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 to a place where something grabs hold of me and then I will stop and I will study right there. That's how I read. Um, and then the other way I read, and uh, this, if this is all you get tonight, this might be revolutionary for somebody here tonight. Um, every, every day when I pray, I ask God for three things in my life. I ask Him for His wisdom, I ask Him for His love, and I ask Him for His power. Every single day, I want to do things through the power of God, not through the might of my flesh. I want to love others with His love, because His love is limitless and perfect. My love is limited and, 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 and marred, filled with errors. I want to have His wisdom, not my life's experiences, because His wisdom is is limitless, and mine is limited to 34 years of experiences. So I want to make sure that I pray and ask God for those three three things. Now, interestingly enough, the book of Proverbs uh, is the go-to book for God's wisdom. The book of Psalms is the go-to book for God's love. And the book of Acts is God's go-to book for God's power. The go-to book for God's power. If you read uh, one chapter a day out of Proverbs, you'll read the book in a month. If you read one chapter a day out of Acts, you'll read the book through in a month. And if you will uh, 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 read five chapters out of the Psalms, most of them are short, uh, a day, then you'll read through that in a month. There's 150 chapters in Psalms. You divide that by five, it comes out to 30. You can read through Proverbs, Psalms, and Acts every single month, and you will be pumping into your heart God's power, God's love, and God's wisdom. God's power, God's love, and God's wisdom. And I would say if you did that for a year straight, boy, you would be put in a really, really, really good place. And so that's a good thing to do. If you feel yourself slipping in, in any of those, you can do it. You say, well, the Bible's got 30,000 chapters. How long would it take me to read through it? If you commit to read 15 to 20 minutes a day at an average reading speed, then you will get through the Bible in about a year. So uh, do that. How about listening to the Bible? So we looked at reading the Bible. How about listening to the Bible? Now, um, how many of you here have at least a 15-minute commute to work? Would you raise your hand? You have at least a 15-minute commute to work. If you will put that CD in, or you will hook your smartphone up to the car speaker, and you will hit play, uh, you will you will be able to read, uh, you will be able to listen to the Bible. Uh, 15 minutes there, 15 minutes home. Some of you have a longer ride than that. Uh, you can listen to the Bible every month, every month and a half. You can listen to it really, really quick. So uh, listen through the Bible. Listen, get it into you. It's God's Word that's going to refresh you and renew you and feed you. Uh, another thing you can do is take your smartphone and when you're charging it at the end of the day, uh, play the Bible app uh, on a low volume or put it on a stereo of it's a CD. Play that on a low volume and fall asleep listening to the Bible and let the Word of God just pummel your subconscious all night long, you're getting it into you, okay? So uh, listen while you fall asleep. Let's talk about the studying, and then we'll wrap it up tonight. Um, to everybody go over to Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. I'm going to give you a little tutorial here on how to study the Bible.
Okay, the Bible says there, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. Okay, so put that picture up there for me if you don't mind, Brother Matt. It should be there. Alright, that's what my, I took that, I took a picture of my Bible. And so that's verse 4 there. And so on the left side of, of the um, page there, you have some, uh, uh, some, uh, we're talking about a topical study or some different topics. You have the last commission. You have assembly. Jerusalem. Another Jerusalem. Delayed blessings. I circled there waiting for God. Patience. Uh, and then some of those get down into verse 5. So, you see the number out to the left there, 2693. So, if I wanted to study the topic about waiting on God, what a powerful topic. Go ahead and throw the next slide up there for me. I turn back into the back of my Bible to 2693, and there are verses that talk about waiting for God, or waiting on God. Uh, Genesis 49:18, and then in parentheses, Psalms 33:20. And this was the bottom of the column. The, the, the rest of this section, go put the next slide up there, is right there. There are all the rest of the verses that talk about waiting on God. You see the section below that is impatience, which goes with a Christian who can't wait on God. You see there the word prayerfulness uh, is another number you could turn to if that's something you wanted to study further. And so when I'm putting a message together, I'm reading a verse like verse 4, and I say, I want more material on this idea of waiting on God. I can turn back to that number, and I've got a, a treasure trove of hard work someone else already put in to help me to be able to go back. I, and sometimes you'll hear me preach out of an obscure passage. I'm going to give you a little... Um, uh, uh, I'm going to take you behind the curtain here in my study. Um, I will start in a passage that we all know... I will go back into my Thompson Chain Reference Bible and I will find a passage like Isaiah 26 and I'll turn there and I'll read it and I'll study it and I'll go, wow, this is really great. And I'll end up preaching from Isaiah 26. It isn't because I'm smarter than you. It's just that I've got better materials than you. So uh, this is a good way to do topical studies of the Bible. Here's a big mistake a lot of people make. And this Satan has used this to start a lot of really bad religions. They will look at a verse... And they will build a whole religion off that verse. Don't do that. God gave you a whole Bible that probably talks about that topic lots and lots and lots of times. So get some study materials and look at what the whole Bible says about that. So that is how to study, how I go about studying the Bible uh, topically. Let's talk about expository study. Thank you, Brother Matt. You can put the, uh, uh, the uh, outline back on the screen. Expository study. Go back with me to Psalm chapter number uh, 119 where we began tonight. I love to take a passage of the Bible and just let the Bible preach itself. That's a great way to do it. It's a great way to study. And uh, you say, well, that's kind of an advanced way. Well, every passage presents its own challenges, just like in that show Chopped, each basket would present its own challenges. But if you work at it, the more difficult the challenge is, the more amazing things you can generally pull out of it. So here are uh, sort of my, uh, uh, my checklist, if you will, or my steps in studying a passage, all right? Uh, so... 
Psalm 119, 1 through 10. And say I wanted to preach a sermon out of Psalm 119, 1 through 10. Or I just wanted to do a personal Bible study to glean some things out to help me to have a pure heart and love God better and challenge myself in my personal time. There's a lot of things I get out of my Bible in my personal time that never make it to the pulpit. And that's how it ought to be. Uh, uh, if you're a Sunday school teacher, you have a, an avenue to teach, you ought to get a lot more out of your Bible than you actually ever share. So Psalm 119, 1 through 10, it said I wanted to preach this. The very first thing I would do is I would, I would pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help show me what this passage actually means. So there are lots of applications that can be pulled out of a passage, but there's generally only one interpretation. Only one interpretation. So one interpretation, several applications. So I will pray and say, Lord, help me to understand exactly what it was you were trying to convey when you had this put in the Bible. And then I will read the passage over several times. That is so important. Several times. I will read it three, four, five, sometimes six, seven times just so I am uh, engulfing and swallowing and understanding everything that's here. The next step would be to highlight or mark or write down the key words of the passage. So let's do this together. Look back at verse 1. Uh, let's read verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. So what are the key what are the key words in this verse? I would say that the word blessed is important because that is the that is the benefit of the Christian, right? If you do whatever it says here, you're going to be blessed. Or, uh, blessed are the undefiled. That's an important word. Now, you may not know what that means. You may need to look it up. Or you may think you know what it means, and you may want to study that deeper. So, I would mark the word undefiled. So, uh, in order to be blessed, I must be undefiled. In the way... Who walk in the law of the Lord. So, this is someone who's undefiled. Okay, so in order to be blessed, I must be undefiled. In order to be undefiled, I must walk in the law of the Lord. Okay, now that raises another question. How do I walk in the law of the Lord? Either the passage is going to explain this to me, or I need to do a topical Bible study on the law of the Lord. Look at verse 2. Blessed are they that keep his testimony. So there's that word blessed again. That's the end goal. That's the re- what the Christian receives. They that keep his testimonies. By the way, if you've never done a Bible study on the word keep, I preached a sermon about that word several months ago. If you weren't here for it, you've not done a Bible study on it, that is a... Powerful word. Study out that word. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with a whole heart. So what are the key words here? Blessed, keep, testimonies, seek, heart or whole heart. So you go in and you do this on every verse. And so uh, that's the next step. After that, um, uh, uh, I put it all together by writing down the key points of the passage. So I'm going to make a list of the key points or the key thoughts of the passage. And then fifth, I ask God through prayer how I can apply these truths in my life to make changes. And uh, so that's how I study the Bible. That's how I study the Bible. I, you pray, you read the chapter or pass a paragraph through several times. Uh, you uh, highlight, mark the uh, key words. Uh, you go and define the words that you don't understand. Uh, you put it all together by writing down the key points, and then you ask God how you can apply it to your life. And I'm going to give you a, uh, uh, I'm going to share with you a danger here that many, a hole, a danger hole many Christians have fallen in uh, that are very good at studying the Bible. First Corinthians 13 tells us that knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge puffeth up. I always think of a peacock. Strutting its feathers. There are a lot of Christians, they got a lot of Bible knowledge. And it's made them very proud. Knowing the Bible is not the end goal. 
Don't miss this. And I'm done. Knowing the Bible is not the end goal. Practicing the Bible is the end goal. This, as you grow in your knowledge, should inspire you to go out and live it. Oh, there's a lot of Christians. They, I call them fat-bottom theologians. Because all they do is sit around and study and study and study and study. But they're not worth any more than you can throw them. Read it to know it, and then know it to live it. And uh, I hope tonight that this will challenge you. If you um, haven't been reading your Bible, why don't you make the decision tonight you're going to start? If you've been inconsistent, why don't you make the decision you're going to get more consistent? If you've been reading your Bible and not studying it, why don't you make a decision that you're going to start studying your Bible? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me just ask you a very direct question tonight, Christian. Do you read God's Word regularly? Is it growing you? Is it growing you? To the small children in the room, if you can't read, then when you can, read, start. And parents, encourage your children to do that. God's Word can't begin to cleanse you, as Psalm 119.9 says. It can't begin to cleanse you until you begin to put it in you. And so put it in you. And listen... Uh, it takes years to get to maybe the place where I am or some of our deacons are, some of our pastors are, but I had to start somewhere and so do you. Why don't you commit tonight, right there in your pew, that you're going to begin reading and studying the Bible regularly. Reading and studying the Bible regularly. Lord, I pray tonight you'd help us to be people of the book. Lord, people who read the Bible, understand the Bible, and then do our best to practice the Bible. May it be a commitment we make every day of our life that we would feed ourselves and not be malnourished, scrawny uh, Christians. Help us with this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. The altar's open. You're encouraged to come and make decisions for the Lord. Will you come tonight and just say, Lord, here I am. My reading could be better. It could be stronger. It could be more consistent. Will you help me? You can do that. In your pew, but listen, coming and kneeling at the altar, you're, you're making a public profession to show everyone, I'm serious about this. I'm serious about this. Let's decide tonight we're going to make a decision for the Lord.